Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. My name is Eric Fisher and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Lauren Gaggioli. Lauren is a dynamic entrepreneur, educator, and an advocate for purpose-driven living. She is also a friend of mine for almost 10 years now. She excels at leveraging technology to make her mark on the world, but she also finds joy and fulfillment in domestic activities like knitting and gardening and brewing beer. And in this conversation, we dive into the challenges of finding balance and control of our daily lives. Lauren shares her experiences of being productive as a spouse, as a parent of young children, and as an entrepreneur, highlighting the importance of communication, compromise, and creating a family culture that works for everyone. We also explore Lauren's passion for teaching and helping others realize their dreams. And so if any of these topics resonate for you, I know you're going to love this conversation with Lauren Gaggioli. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Lauren Gaggioli. Lauren, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Oh, man, what an honor. Thank you so much, Eric. This is going to be fantastic. This is going to be fun. Okay, so I've probably already in the intro said, hey, we've been friends for almost 10 years now. And Lauren, if you don't realize that, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, wait, when we met and I'm like, oh, our our meet story is kind of funny. We were both going to sit into a Pat Flynn session at Social Media Marketing World. 2014 would have been March. So we're here in 2023 recording this. It's been nine years and a half We've just stayed in a friendship over years, <laughs> nine nine months, nine years. I didn't know who you were. I sat down. I had been chatting with Pat outside before he was going to go speak. Then I sat down and somebody asked me a question. You heard my voice. You were like, are you Eric Fisher or something along those lines? Because you had been listening to the show at that point. And I thought, yep. so, and this was a thing that happened a lot back in the day when you'd meet people in the hallways at social media and or podcasting conferences, you didn't know what these people looked like very much because you weren't really looking at their stuff on social too much, but you were hearing them in your ear so much and you were familiar with that. And it was kind of almost a trigger like, wait, where are they? I hear them. And I had that happen a few times with other people, but this was the first time that had happened to me and it was with you. So I'm your first fangirl. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, that word. I wasn't going to say that I word. I totally but it, fangirled. Yeah. I did. I know I brought up bacon in the first conversation. <laughs> like I understood the assignment and I showed up. Yeah. So from that point forward, met up with other people that evening and then karaoke that night with a bunch of different yes. people and then continual other conferences and events and things. And so, yeah. But my thought was, Last time I saw you in person was at Lou Mangello's Momentum, and I had just recently had somebody reach out about the show, about Beyond the To-Do List, and they said, do you have any kind of guidance or guests that you can have on that can talk about like balancing 
doing real life in a practical way. And what they meant by that was, you know, they have young kids, they have a partner or spouse, they have various, either they're working or they're doing side hustle type stuff from home. And I thought, that sounds like somebody I know who I know is very productivity oriented. And I wanted to have you on and start to talk about that kind of wisdom and experience that you've had. And you're still going through it even now. So... I want to paint a little bit of context. I'd love to say, like, so right now, currently, you're married, you have two kids, you used to do a lot of business stuff, you're starting to branch out and do that more. But before all that happened, or at least before the kids, you had business stuff you were involved with, and you kind of sold that off, moved on, and all of that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Set some context here. Absolutely. So I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. If you like go to the way, way back machine, I would dream up menus and like restaurants. It was called the Kids Cafe, two case, Kids Cafe. And like I would, I made popcorn soup. Like I literally would like make the stuff and like serve it to people and force them to eat the soup that had every, you know, spice in my mom's kitchen in it. Like I've always been wired this way. So I think that kind of helps set the framework for everything that comes beyond that. But my first venture solo was an in-person tutoring company where I helped kids get ready for the ACT and SAT. And I just realized I really loved it. But then I got married and went, oh, he works a nine to five. I work five to nine because that's when kids are out of school. We literally never see each other. I used to have what I'd call thousand dollar Sundays where I'd be gone from seven in the morning to 10 at night on Sunday. And so it was like, we had no time together as newlyweds, which was not awesome. And projecting forward, I knew I wanted kids. And so I was like, how do I make that pivot? Like, how do I take the skill set that I have and parlay it into something that allows me more flexibility and freedom so that I can also mom? Because staying home with my kids was also really important to me. I knew I wanted to homeschool, which I now do. My kids are three and five. So it's still like, you know, we sing songs. So it's not like heavy duty homeschooling. But, you know, it's like we're heading towards those kindergarten years. It's starting to get more real. And I'm so glad I did this when I did because it did make that shift into parenthood so much more I won't say easy, simple. Like I had the long view. So my first venture actually was inspired by Mitch Jackson. If any of your listeners know him, he's very active in social. His daughter was, they were one of my first clients. And I was working with his daughter. I came downstairs. He had a scowl on his face. And I thought I was in trouble, even though I knew his daughter was doing like amazingly. She was so, so smart and really dedicated to the work. And I was like, what is going on? And he goes, Lauren, why aren't you on Twitter? Like, I didn't even know how to react to that. I was like, I don't understand the question. (laughs) And I was thinking small, right? I was thinking I am in a like very small geography. I don't need to do that sort of broad marketing. And Mitch opened my eyes to the education that's available through podcasting, courses online, all of that. And that was in like 2013. So that planted the seeds of where I was headed next and where I was headed next was moving all that in-person offering into an online space. And I did asynchronous online ACT and SAT courses. And that's really how I cut my teeth in the online space, leveraging what I knew and just delivering it in a different method. Awesome. And so I know that story. Obviously, then you were selling that off. You were moving on. You were kind of 
transitioning. And I think that was pre or around the time you were about to be or knew you were starting to create kids, right? It's like, okay, I think that now's the, you know, in other words, ever since I've known you, you've been very season um, oriented and aware, not just long game, but like, here's what's required of me, not just now, but here's kind of the next season two and the one after that. And I'm kind of, you know, planting seeds in those and you do a lot of gardening in your backyard and all that. So I know that's kind of metaphorical and <laughs> literal as well. But as you were kind of planning that out and preparing, I always think of you as kind of a, a planner and a relationship nurturer. You were momming even then. I was. I was practicing. <laughs> so three and five. Gosh, that's a long time now. And I can't even believe that that's yeah. true. And I've only met your daughter and only when she was like tiny, tiny, like still within a year, I think. I think she was six months. Yeah. We went to Cheesecake Factory. That's right. That's right. With Jeff. At that point, you kind of had stepped out and you were changing your emphasis. You weren't saying, no, I don't want to be involved in business, but your family was your business at that point. Give me a little bit of your perspective on, some people would say, air quotes, giving up on one dream. Really, it's more just changing the hierarchy of your priorities for the time at hand, knowing at some point in the future, things will change up and it'll be different. Yes. So you should know, I also have a background. I have a BFA in theater. And so I'm very much a yes and kind of girl for my improv fellows out there. You know, I don't like saying no to things unless it's a real hard no. I'm very curious by nature. I'm very interested and intrigued by all the different ways that you can apply all of the evolution of technology to carve your own way and make your own way in this world. And I think it's just for a long time, I felt like I was born in the wrong era. In some respects, I'm very domesticated. Like I knit, I crochet, I garden, I, you know, brew beer, which is traditionally women's work. I also love to cook. Like I'm very much like a hands-on homey mom. And you have to say it with that emphasis, homey mom, like you have to say the Midwest side. But I also really love the idea of being independent too. So it's like, for me, it's this constant toggling between like, what am I doing for me? What am I doing for them? What are we doing for us? And then how do we take care of our responsibilities in each of those domains? So for a long time, I felt like I was born in the wrong era because I was so domesticated. But then once I discovered online business, I was like, oh, no, the opportunities now are just tremendous. However, the dark side, and as we know, there's always a dark side. You look out there and you go, oh, there's everything. Like there's so much I can do. And so as somebody who doesn't like to say no, and as somebody who sees a lot of opportunity and wants to chase down those opportunities, but also feels at times, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but constrained by just, you know, the hours in a day and the responsibilities I have to the people I made, you know, how do you balance all that? What lens do you put that through and how do you focus it? So how can we say yes? To things that light us up and also, yes, to taking care of our kids and nurturing our families and all of that. And I haven't always gotten it right, that's for sure. But when I realized that that was really where my heart was in helping other people say yes to their dreams, it's when I realized that I was feeling like I was too much in a box with ACT and SAT, that that is kind of a reductive path, 
right? There's one endpoint. You take the test, you get your score, right? And I really wanted to have the conversation with high school students about their purpose. I wanted to have the conversation about like, well, why don't you feel motivated? You know, that's a sign where there's points of friction and resistance. That's something we need to be listening to. But in this world where we can see every opportunity, often we feel compelled to just keep charging forward no matter the cost. And I think that that also is harmful. And so by wanting to have that larger conversation, I realized that there was this like mental weight of the very profitable course that I had developed that I went, oh, I'm going to have to shut it down because I have a mental load there that I cannot bear and take on something else. And so that's where the impetus to sell higher scores, even though I was working four hours a week and, you know, it was it was a good living. I really felt my heart called to do something else. It wasn't just the four hours that you were working. There was a, you know, it's kind of like inbox zero where the true nature of it isn't that you have zero emails. It's that your attention is on those emails, whether you're looking at the inbox or not, knowing there's stuff in there or not knowing what's in there. It's that kind of psychological slash emotional load or RAM being used up, even though you don't know it. Yes, absolutely. And I am someone as a people pleaser as well. I carry that mental load with me. And that was really the thing. I could see how many clients could come into the course and I felt beholden to them because I gave them so much access that if anybody called in their bet at any point, like I had to be able to pay up. And the exchange was my time in that exchange. And I felt really uneasy about how big it was getting and how many students were coming through at a given time. And it wasn't my passion. You know, I think it would be a different play if I felt more called to support those students in that way. And as soon as I heard the hollerings of my own heart that I was out, I really had to go, oh, I realized something. And I actually built my own deus ex machina. Like the course that I am now teaching on purpose, it like is the thing that transitioned me out of my company. I built my own lifeboat. And I don't know why all the things converged in the way they did to allow me to do that. But like, I always like Princess Leia is one of my favorite characters. I tell my daughter all the time, we're going to be self-rescuing princesses. Not that we can't ask for support, but like, this is something that's really important that we understand how to take care of ourselves. And something inside of me told me I needed to do that at that time. And it allowed me to make that leap when the time was right. And it was about lining, you know, everything up appropriately and having patience as well. But the second I knew I was out, I was like, okay, let's start moving in that direction then. That's awesome. It just occurred to me, you didn't want to be the the test prep helper. You wanted to be a guidance counselor, really. You wanted to <laughs> yeah. help people plumb the depths and you wanted to ask the right questions that they weren't asking themselves or at least ask them in a different way. That's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? No, no one knows that answer, but we do know what we're interested in and we do know what's, you know, you've said this in different ways, you know, Marie Kondo, spark joy. And yes, yes. I mean, I've seen that every conversation I have with you, you're asking me questions and I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. So, yeah. Well, thank you, because I know you do a lot of heavy lift in your thinking. So for me to be guiding you into areas you've never considered before, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. I was going to say, we were talking about, you know, the whole, you know, mental load and having that all on you. And you talked about, you know, hey, if any of your students or clients 
called in the favor that they were completely allowed to do, you'd have to be on call for them. And that's kind of that, you know, mental load thing. But when you realize that you had to simplify and shut that down because coming at some point very soon, you were going to have a different type of on-call mentality. And it was going to be not just for your husband, but also for these new kids that were going to be in the home. And again, none of us are prepared for that. We do the best that we can and we do what we can, when we can, how we can as much as possible. We look for support. And there's a lot right here. And I want to camp out here for a little bit and just talk like, look, as things happen and the business of a house becomes more the single focus like it did for you at that time, how do you start to not just think about, but also execute on structuring, running the home? It's a big, wide open field and a question. There's lots of places we can go. But I think a lot of people, they're like, I think for you, luckily, you had started to phase certain things out because you knew you needed to have them, again, out of your head and not on your plate anymore. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that the pandemic, so my son was born the November before the pandemic. So I had a two-year-old at home and then a newborn and then the whole world shut down. And the upshot of that for our family, and we are so grateful for it, is that my husband was home. So like all the first that I got to witness solo with my daughter, my husband actually got to be the one who saw them. Like he'd call me in from the other room. I wasn't far away, but like I was I was not the one who got to witness them. And like that was really bonding for a minute when we were like, you know, all in this like cocoon of like relative safety for our family of being home all the time. And I feel so very privileged and lucky that that was our scenario. And I will be honest, like my income took a total digger, you know, so his income became really the 100% what we relied on. But then I think because we were at home and on top of each other all the time, like what started as like, okay, the world is like falling apart. We're going to cocoon up here and just like live in this this little bubble for ourselves and like do what we can to support our immediate circles. But like, this is it. As life started to get back to quote unquote normal, I think that's when we started to see like, oh boy, we have fallen into some bad habits and some bad reliance. So like as I offloaded the company and Mike started going back to work and I started having these aspirations of building a new company and going in these different directions, that's where the stress fractures started to show. And I think there's something that happens when you have kids is like you kind of hole up and you get into this mentality of like, this is just a season. And I think sometimes you can pick your head up like years later and go, wait a minute, that season was really long. <laughs> like these kids are now talking in full sentences. Maybe we can like give them some responsibilities, you know, and like age appropriate. But like, I think there's this kind of scope creep of parenthood that you have built the muscles to shoulder a burden of these dependent kids. And then suddenly they're not so dependent, but they're still acting like they are. And that's that's a hard shift to like bring into the family culture of like going, okay, we now need to reassess because we are further along with these growing beings. And I think that's something that as Americans, we don't really do quite so well with our parenting philosophies. I think it's a much more international push to have kids contributing in the home in a more direct way. 
than it is here. And that's something that when we realized that was happening, Mike and I kind of had to have a come to Jesus moment between us and say, okay, what is the family culture we want to cultivate here? And what makes you happy as an individual, me happy as an individual? How can we like quarterback the things that make the kids happy as well? Like see them as individuals, but then also how are all those individuals going to interact in a way that is supportive of everyone? And that's been, that's been a journey. We don't, we definitely don't get that right all the time. I don't think anybody does when it comes to that. Yeah. Have you ever seen the, I think there's a Netflix show. I forget what it's called, but it was the Japanese kids that go out and do the errands by themselves and the community kind of guardrails them and things. It's so interesting to see that. And that's definitely not something we do here in the United States. And I think with good reason, right? Like there's a reason we're not sending our five-year-olds on buses in the U.S. Like there are some very serious concerns that we need to shelter our kids from, you know, but I think we can find maybe a middle ground if culturally we can't provide that extreme level of independence. How can we start to like trial balloon it or like let the rope out a little bit and give our kids the opportunity to make mistakes, you know, not costly mistakes, but like little ones, get to scrape knee, you know, do your thing. Help me clean the dishes. And if you break one, that's kind of just part of life and we'll deal with it when it happens. Help me load the dishwasher or load the laundry machine and pour the soap in and it gets everywhere. And we just go, okay, this is part of it. Now here's how we learn how to clean up, you know, and seeing those as like learning opportunities and empowering our children is how I think we get really helpful teens is having helpful toddlers. And I feel really lucky because I was in people's homes. Like I saw the end result, right? I saw the end of the children at home journey as an SAT and ACT tutor sitting across the kitchen table. And like, I kind of would watch family dynamics from that perspective. And I was like, this is really interesting. And it's kind of where I became obsessed with the idea of vectors, which I never understood when I was learning, you know, pre-cal. But then (laughs) sitting there, I'm like, oh, this is like the James Clear, like nudging 1%. This is where this, it, like the rubber hits the road on this stuff and on the family dynamics. And I, I had a clear vision from the jump of becoming a mother of some of the things I wanted to happen in, in our lives and that it was going to have to be in conversation with whoever these people turned out to be, you know, whoever these children ended up actually coming to the earth as. Yeah. And I know you've got a pretty interesting, actually very healthy, as I've seen you talk about this online perspective on parenting it's not you know it's not hovering it's guiding it's not teaching them to do this exactly lock and step your way although i guess sometimes you have to do that because there is the right way for my house and then (laughs) but then there's also the right way for you as a person to grow and you know how loose or how tight you hold certain things in other words what are the negotiables what are the non-negotiables kind of having that give and take that push and pull i think Parenting in its like best form is a collaboration. Like I hold the vision of what I want our family life to look like, but my kids are welcome to contribute to that. And I try to create opportunity for that. But also to your point about like step one, step two, step three, I think often about soundtracks, Johnny Cuff's book. I tell my kids all the time, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. Like if we're tidying up, Perfection is not the goal. Like, just please get the Legos off the floor so I don't hurt myself. <laughs> you know, that that's the goal. 
But I also am, am kind of fixated on the concept of frameworks rather than formulas. And I think this holds true for solopreneurs as well, that, you know, if someone's handing you step one, step two, step three, step four, I don't believe it. I don't think it's going to work because who we are necessarily shifts what we ought to be doing. And so like the conference thinking about like mental bandwidth and the the mental load of certain products and services, like one thing I'm just never going to create, or I shouldn't say never, maybe there will be a season of life where it feels okay. I say never. And then of course, like tomorrow, I'll come up with an idea that jettisons this. But I really don't like the idea of memberships. And like, that's all the rage right now. Memberships, memberships, memberships. And like, it feels like building myself a golden prison. And instead, I'm going to do asynchronous courses because when the pendulum swings and people start talking about courses again, <laughs> and I'll just be sitting right there. And also, I think some people prefer to learn that way. And if you build them well and can facilitate transformation in a way that feels high touch, but is actually highly leveraged and just really well constructed from the get go, I think it's a much more viable option for me and this season of life and what I know and imparting that knowledge in the best way that I possibly can. So, you know, I think as a society, I think we always look and go kind of like the idea is out there. The answer is out there. I'm going to read the next self-help book. I'm going to read the next parenting book. I'm going to go and look for all the things that are outside of myself. And gosh, isn't it just the pits when you realize that the answer was inside you all along? (laughs) The friends we made. Which the friends we made along the way, and it, yes. <laughs> just, we do not hit pause long enough to hear ourselves. And I really think that the gas in the tank for productivity is from self-knowledge. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And honestly, this is part of why I wanted to talk to you, because I know you talk a lot about and have thought a lot about and have a course on, you know, basically purpose. If I can echo what you just said, I think one of the things that we do so often is just close out, hit pre-record. I was like, I'm done with this week because we're recording this on a Friday. And I'm just like, I'm just done with this week. When we're done, I'm done for the week. And I think we go with that mentality and say, okay, I'm going to run till I can't. And then I'm going to stop. And then I don't leave time to kind of decompress in a proper way in terms of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, having any amount of self-awareness, checking in with myself so that I've got my, you know, air mask on on the plane first so that I can help other people. Right. And we act and I should say we react more than we act based off of just assumptions of, I haven't checked in with myself, I haven't checked in with the others around me enough, and so everything stays the same and keeps moving in that same flywheel, but we haven't questioned whether that's really where we're at or what needs to be done anymore in that way. Yes, yes. I think, gosh, it's exhausting, right? To not feel like you have any control over your day or week or and and this is sort of again a mindset that can come when you are waking up in the middle of the night with a newborn and then like suddenly it's like wait this child maybe could benefit from some sleep training but like you're so hazy at that point you just keep waking up you know we went down that road with my first and you know i was up five times a night when she was like 10 months old and i went okay like it's it's time to Find some resources that can support us with this specific challenge and change something. But it took a minute for me to like literally wake up and go, oh, this isn't okay. We can do something different. We have the ability to make a different choice. When you zoom out and look kind of at how a lot of us are living in that reactionary state, gosh, I think it's just it's heartbreaking to me when we just don't put it through the lens of what it is we really want. And I think that comes down to like, what are our highest held values individually, as a family, within our communities? And what are the actions we take to live those out? And this is where you you mentioned RAM earlier. I have this idea with purpose of going to more of like a multi-threaded purpose where like, I think sometimes we feel like, well, I'm going to have a purpose in parenting and I'm going to have a purpose in my home life and I'm going to have a purpose, you know, at work and then individually or as a daughter or as, a, you know, a sister, like we start to like parse ourselves out and see ourselves as like all these individual compartments. And I think for women in particular, we are often context driven, like our identity can kind of shift based on the context we're in and what people need from us. Whereas if we name a overarching purpose and then find the ways we live that purpose out in those various domains, it's more unifying and it feels more calming. And for me, I'm terrible at, quote, rest. Like, if you tell me to do self-care, I'll be like, no. And so instead, what I need is to know, have I executed some action, a small action, 15 minutes, an hour, 15 hours, it doesn't matter. It can be little, big, whatever. Have I executed some action that moved me towards my purpose or where I was acting within my values-centered purpose? 
in some domain, any domain. And as long as I can say that I did that, then it it's kind of like I'm writing my own permission slip to do something that stands outside of that. And to me, the standing outside of that, even if it looks like, quote, adulting to someone else, which is not restful, I actually do find it restorative. So if I've lived in my purpose, I have a stronger sense of like, oh, I can go water my garden and just stand there for 10 minutes and listen to an audiobook or not, you know, whatever the case may be. And yes, I'm doing a chore, but it feels more like rest because the purpose-driven stuff for me is where the heavy lift is. And the other stuff is fun and frivolous sometimes. And sometimes it's watching a movie. Sometimes it's washing the dishes. It just depends. You're making me think of one of the things that I've often heard. I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was a guest and we walked through this. We talked about taking breaks and what types of breaks were the most beneficial. And we started to list things off. So right now I'm sitting, so I'm in, in one place. I am looking at a screen. I am being social because we're talking and that's fun. Let's see what else. I'm inside and I don't have any beverage here sitting with me anymore. I use those up. <laughs> so the best break for me when we're done is one, instead of sitting, I stand up. Number two, stop looking at a screen. Number three, we're socializing. So me maybe taking some alone time, quiet time. I'm inside, so going outside. And the other one would probably be walking. And the thing is, is that any of those, you, you take a look at all those different switches and you say, okay, now switch it to the opposite and try to yeah. put those together. So if we weren't recording right now, I was just staring at a screen and alone, me using my phone and talking to somebody and being social would be flipping that switch to the opposite way. And so that's what that feels like. And so when you said the watering the garden thing, it made me think of sometimes one of the best breaks that I can do is to get up, walk away from my desk, stand, and then do something tactile that is honestly also productive, like, oh, I don't know, load or unload the dishwasher or do the other ones that can't really go in there and stand and, you know, maybe listen to some music or something while I'm doing that. And it's flipping all those different switches. And I'm also still getting something done. And yet some people would say, well, but dish dishes is work. I'm like, depends on what I'm doing and what it is that I was doing previous and before and after. So. Yeah. And I think too, like going back to the mental load, right? Like there is a mental load to knowing that there's a task you're ignoring. And I don't think we always give that the credit it's due because, you know, it's sometimes you just want to like, quote, be bad and like sit <laughs> down and watch your show and leave the dishes for tomorrow. If that jives with what you're okay with, then by all means, like have at. But I think for most of us, if we know if we are kicking the can down the road to future us mm -hmm. and that does carry a weight. Yeah, that procrastination has consequences and uh, <laughs> there are ways to, you know, deal with that ideally. But I think the other thing that I, I'm trying to figure out here is, and, and again, I've got an 18 year old who's about to leave the house. I've got an a, about to turn 12 year old son and, you know, he's got a whole, I keep saying, dude, you're going to have a whole bunch more chores to do soon. Hey, because <laughs> it's all going to be on you now. And that dynamic just suddenly changes. And it's a different dynamic than we had for this whole time. But I think I think the thing is, is it's it's based on 
what's most important. It's, again, we're going back to the kind of the applying that lens of purpose, taking the time to check in with yourself and the others, but then also then, okay, now based on what I've checked in about, how do I feel that's being lived out here in my home as far as the day in, day out, what needs to be done and who's dictating that and who's also <laughs> organizing slash executing on that? Yeah, I will tell you that the thing that's worked really well for us. So I am not a structure girl. All of us, I think, are on a scale of like rigid to fluid. And my husband's very rigid and I am very fluid. I will get my stuff done the things that are most important to me. But I, the idea of like a morning routine where it's the same every single day, just that sounds horrible to me. He is like, I wake up, I eat breakfast, I do this, I do that. He's so measured. And so we had to find a way to kind of come to the middle and be flexible. Like both of us sort of migrate a little. And again, I think if you have a partner and you have kids, like this has to be a conversation partner to partner first. Because that's where the culture of a family, like if you're going to use business terms, like that's where the culture of a family is set, is how that communication is happening and all that. And then there's a trickle down effect. And I think the kids can obviously speak into it depending on how old they are and what they understand, you know. But for Mike and I, you know, we just we really had to sit down because I was getting tired of being asked if certain things had been done. And I was getting tired of asking if certain things had been done. So we set out a weekly schedule of like check boxes. <laughs> and then we each took mornings and we also had a an evening schedule. And it was just so nice to be able to go, oh, that box is checked. I don't have to feed the sourdough starter. Like that's been done. You know, the cat will tell me if he's been fed, but the sourdough starter can't speak yet. <laughs> so, you know, understanding like who's quarterbacking what is so helpful. And then for it to not always be Lauren is doing X every day because it will definitely not get done because that's not how I work, right? So finding ways to sort of help one another be who we are, but also find way, like communicate in a calm time without finger pointing about what needs to get done. And also what don't we care about? You know, something like clutter, two little ones and we have lots of puzzles and they are everywhere. And so like, does that bother anybody? Nobody who lives under my roof actually really cares. I care once I can't walk across the floor. But other than that, I don't really care. And so we had that conversation because he, I, in my head, I was like, I'm cleaning these up because he doesn't like it when there's clutter. And he's like, I actually don't really care. You know, he would complain and be like, oh, we should probably clean up. But he wasn't willing to get up and do it. So he didn't really care. But he was he saying that because he thought you were had a had a problem with it. And if you both didn't have a problem with it, then not right. that you just leave it, at, you know, everywhere in perpetuity. But it's like, right. It's not an emergency like you both thought the other thought it was. Yes, I think honestly, that's what it was. We were caretaking each other in a way that neither of us cared to be caretaken. Like that energy would have been much better channeled into like, Forget the puzzles. Let's just have a game night because what we need is more boards out. <laughs> but it actually fills our cup more than having a clean house. Yeah. Uh, see, and it sounds like you're living out Kendra Adachi, her lazy genius way. Be a genius about the things that matter and be lazy about the things that don't. But unless you actually 
choose those things and drill down a layer. I think I was actually tying it to yet another guest, Melissa Urban, and her book on boundaries slash pairing that with Kendra's thing. And I thought, because she was talking about boundaries, unless you've set them ahead of time and know why you've set them and for what reason, according to what purpose. And, you know, I think the the example was something about somebody is lighting up a cigarette in her home and she's being passive aggressive about it. But because she's never communicated the expectation or the boundary, she feels like she's being walked all over. Whereas if she'd done some forethought and some actual communication and so on, then there you go. Then she can, yeah. you know, be again lazy about the things that are important. Uh, sorry, other way around. Strike that, reverse it. <laughs> <laughs> Genius about the things that are important, lazy about the things that aren't. And I love, love, love Kendra's a- approach to that because again, it's not about having it set in stone as to what's important and what's not. It can shift. It's seasonal too. Yes. Yes. And having a break from the rhythm and routine of it all is also very valuable. So, you know, my kids love a jammy day. Do we get dressed most days? Yeah. But, you know, sometimes they just don't want it. And so you go, what's really at stake here? Were we going to go anywhere? No. All right, fine. Stay in your pajamas. I don't care. You know, it's a down day. And I think, again, hearing and like blind adherence to rules is something I just have never never taken a liking to. There's a reason that when I was teaching ACT and SAT and people were like, well, why don't you go like teach acting at a school? It's like the bureaucracy, like God bless the teachers who are willing to do that. But I am not that person. Yeah. Uh, The thing is, is that again, it it comes down to, you know, if we're not going anywhere, you have to have the rules and then the exceptions to the rules and you've got to know them. Like I can't help but think that like, for example, most of today, and I'm throwing my son under the bus, but whatever. He'll never listen to this. I'm sure he will never listen to his father's podcast ever in his life. Trust me. Let alone go back years in the past once he's at the point of maybe listening to podcasts. I don't know. He spent most of the day in pajama bottoms, and that is it. No shirt, nice. no nothing. And it's just like, but, you know, hey, I was doing stuff all day. His sister was working on a college course that she's taking to prep for the fall, like being ahead and having one under her belt. And mom was doing other stuff outside the house all day. And it was just like, well, who cares? I could be the stickler and say, dude, I don't want to see your bare chest anymore. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter now because no one's coming over and he's not going anywhere. And yet when he said, hey, can I go over and see if my friend can play? Can I go over to his house? I'm like, yeah. And then the problem took care of itself. In other words, he's responsible enough when it matters So why stress out about it? And it takes us forever freaking ever to get to that point of understanding that. And then you look back and you're like, why did I stress out about parenting and home life so much? It's because we haven't thought it through as to, again, what is really important. And then everything just feels like hard all the time constantly. Well, and I think, too, and this is where I think the idea of parenting as a collaboration with your kids, again, not that they like and not even that they hold it equally. Right. Especially as they're younger, like the idea is to like hand it off their life to them. But like being respectful of the fact that they are their own individual. But I think as parents, we often put the pressure on ourselves and we start to do like forward projection. If he doesn't put on a shirt today, he'll be living in my basement when he's 52 and he's not going to wear a shirt then either. Like we and we travel all the way and we like build this story in our heads 
And I think that when we do that, like every little thing has such weight. I think it stresses our kids out. Like sometimes kids are just weird. They make weird choices and you're just like, well, as long as you're not hurting anybody or yourself, like, okay. So I think kind of having a little bit more of a inclination to say yes than no, I think kind of tipping the scales there when you see the stakes. And obviously there are, there are instances where that is, that is absolutely not the case. Like when safety is a, a concern or something like that, for sure. But I feel like we often kind of over our kids' shoulders and like nattering at them. And like, what would that do to you if someone was sitting over your shoulder nattering at you through a whole meal? Like, eat this, eat this. Why aren't you eating that? You're not eating it. Like, that's not fun for anybody, least of all the person saying it. So I think bringing a little more levity and humor and understanding that we are not a single decision we made and our kids won't be either. Like we aren't confined by that. We always have a chance to do better the next day and just giving everybody a little grace. It's hard to be a little person. It's hard to be an adult person. It's just hard to live. Everything's hard. Uh, so you've shared here, I've shared here, I think, you know, somebody's listening and then they're like, okay, I think I have a little bit more of an inkling in terms of, you know, macro level. You can't live at the macro level. I shouldn't say that. It's having the ability to go to a macro level, ask questions on a regular enough interval, and then drill back down and do the homework in terms of checking in and all that kind of stuff. But then having those conversations, but then that's all fine and good, someone saying, I hear them saying it right now in their head, but they're like, <laughs> but there's still lots of things that do need to get done. Now, I want to say, refer back to previous portion of this conversation for the last half hour. Maybe not all of what you think needs to be done needs to be done, one, at all, or two, on the timetable you think it does. Because now, if you know there's a certain threshold of clutter and then beyond that, it gets cleaned. But lower than that, no one cares. No one. Not the people outside your house, not the people inside your house, including you, unless you have some wrong belief, right? Like your example, you both didn't know the other didn't care enough. And so it suddenly you both are carrying a load of stress that didn't need to be carried. I would say assess that first. But then once you move past that point, there's still all the things that need to be done. <laughs> So how do we start to approach that never-ending to-do list of things that still seems, even if we've pared it down, there's still lots of stuff there. How do you, as you slash the family, execute on that and make that work? Yeah, I think making it visible and being really specific about what is non-negotiable, what is shared work, when things are going to happen, like the more specific you can get and the more you can plug and play that into your calendar task manager, like whatever you use to manage the things. I think you really have to decide about the opportunity cost, right? So like right now, I am developing, well, I have one and I'm developing a second and they're launching the same day because I'm a crazy person. I have two online courses that I'm launching. I am recruiting every person I know to watch my kids babysitters, grandparents, the whole nine. Like this is a season where my house is literally falling apart. Like because I have decided to focus in this direction, wheels are coming off of sliding doors. My son snapped a cabinet door off its hinges. It's literally going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm going, 
that's cool. Oh, my husband's having surgery on his knee as well. Like he broke his knee. Like it just everything is just chaos. And I'm going, that's great. I'm prioritizing over here now. And in a little bit, I will go back and put the house through, you know, the gauntlet of fixing all the things in one fell swoop. So I think when you know your priorities, when you know what matters to you, when you know what's most important, you start to make those if then you're choosing on the... You got your flow chart, in other words. Yeah, everything. You know, if the house falls down, then I will still launch my course. If somebody needs surgery, I will make PDFs while I'm waiting for them to come out from surgery. Like, it's just the way it's going right now. And that's a commitment I made to myself. And that's what I intend to deliver on. And so I think, you know, when it's more in the flow of just like day to day, I think that's where we sort of get bogged down. And so sometimes a pattern interrupt, I think, is actually the easiest way to sort of get out of the flow and see what really matters. So like if you can say we're going to spend a whole day out of the house and then we'll come back and we'll look at it through fresh eyes and like get everybody on board. We're going to go have fun first and then we'll come back and then we'll assess who's going to like triage all the things. Or you could even make the plan ahead of time if there's something that needs to be triaged and go, okay, fun first, then we're going to come back and we're all going to buckle down and get this done. So I think that's like when you're in a hole. But in terms of just the day-to-day stuff, I think, honestly, communication is, I think, the core of so many of the issues and the, the friction that we see in our homes. First, it's, does this even matter to us? That's the internal friction. And then if it does matter to you, are you owning it or is it somebody else's? And kind of thinking about it in terms of a business can be really, really helpful as you start to negotiate that. And it's going to look different for every family, for however many kids you have, you know, the whole nine. It's so dependent on your personal situation. But I would encourage everybody to take the time to step back first. That's number one. Step back, communicate in an uncharged way. Talk about it before it's a crisis if you can and come up with the game plan that works for you all. Get everyone on board. Yeah, I love it. Gosh, I wish we'd done that more. (laughs) Hindsight. And the thing is, is that, you know, hey, we for the first seven, almost seven years, we had just the one kid and then and now she's about to leave. And now for the next almost seven years, we have just the one kid at home consistently and it's these seasons and the dynamics change and again it's fluid it's way more fluid than people think and so well if it's fluid that means it can pour and adapt into different scenarios but you just have to be aware of it being that way absolutely and i would say like those natural kind of upheavals that happen in life we're not getting out of here alive like there's always going to be something changing something impacting how our family relates And I think when those large scale events happen, it's a great time to assess and say, hey, has this thing been working for us? When Mike and I realized we were on the other side of a pandemic, I mean, COVID's not going anywhere, but like we're no longer in lockdown. We're no longer, you know, going through all that. We were on a walk and I was like, this just isn't working for me anymore. He was like, yeah, actually, it's not working for me. And it just spawned this conversation. And I think we've all just been through the ringer collectively, I think we can say, all right, do we like how the residual effect of that? Do we like what we're carrying over from those patterns we established in that year or two? 
And how do we change that moving forward if we don't? Yeah. It's those check-in moments. And and I think that's the thing is like a lot of people, they, they feel stuck, but they're not setting aside any kind of intentional time, one, for themselves, but two, with those others and doing that check-in time. So you mentioned the courses. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what those are and where people can find out more. Absolutely. So the course I developed for high school students, right, in December 2020, to help students really figure out like where their motivation is coming from. I noticed there was a distinction between students who were intrinsically motivated, extrinsically motivated, and not motivated. And so the kids who really were driving towards a higher score because they saw the benefit that was on the other side, I wasn't worried about those kids. But the ones who couldn't say why they wanted to go to college and were either jumping through someone else's hoop because someone told them to or weren't studying at all, I developed Big Why Life to support them. But that's the course that I created that kind of helped me get out of that line of work because I realized it was not the container I wished to play in any longer. And it's called Big Why Life. And it's for entrepreneurs who really want to clarify their message, clarify their intention. It's for high school students or college students who are studying and don't really know why, don't know what they're heading towards or what I call my festivist crew. It's kind of the rest of us, you know, stay-at-home parents who feel like their entire life is caretaking and they don't caretake themselves and don't even know what that would look like if they did. Or folks who are career questioning and might want to pivot, might want a full change. The framework that I've created helps you go through and sort of assess, starting with yourself, naming a purpose based on the values you've kind of dredged up out of the well of you. And then figuring out how to move that into action, because that's really, I think, the step that you need to know where the arrow is pointing and then you need to draw the string back and then you need to let it fly. So that's what's encompassed in that program. You can find that at bigwhylife.com. And then the other course, the thing I'm, I love in online business is business strategy, but then also content strategy, leveraging the timeless principles of SEO. And so search engine optimization, like if you're not making Google your friend as an entrepreneur, you are missing the boat. It's a huge opportunity to vet your ideas, especially if you're a solopreneur. Like if you're sitting over there going, this would be an amazing thing. And then you keep launching stuff and it's just falling flat. It's because nobody's searching for it or they're searching for it, but they're using different language. And so it's a great way to like refine your vision of your avatar and then help get Uncle Google on your side so that you can turn strangers on the internet into happy clients. So it's not quite the happy hit of dopamine that you get from Zuckerberg, but it is the serotonin hug of organic search. So that is organic marketing ecosystem. It's about everything links together, but sort of built on this foundation of the timeless SEO principles, not the things that are going to change, but quality content. How do you kind of sit at the intersection of humans and bots and software and make it all sing? And so I'm really excited to get that one going. It sounds like something I need too. So in fact, I probably need both of them. (laughs) Great. So Lauren, we'll, we'll link up to those in the show notes. It's been awesome talking with you as usual. This time though, everybody gets to listen in, which is nice, you know? So fun. Yeah. 
we'll have to come up with another conversation to have at some point here, but I know this will be just the first time, not the last time that you'll be on the show. I love talking with you. It's always my favorite. I'm sorry we don't have fried mac and cheese. We will fix that next time. And I will go fix that for myself right now, actually. Man. (laughs) I don't think I know where to get that. But anyways, uh, Lauren, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. And thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with Lauren Gaggioli. Make sure to look up her courses that are coming up in the show notes for this episode. You can find them at beyondthetodolist.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, consider supporting it by using the link in the show notes. You can also find that at beyondthetodolist.com slash sponsors. And also, if you found this show helpful, consider sharing it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or wherever you're listening to this. Send it to that person that you know needs to hear it. Thank you again for sharing. Thanks again for listening. And I will see you next episode.